0: Good afternoon and thanks for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference. I'm Kimberly Shirk. I'll be your moderator for today's show and I'm joined as always by co-authors Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. I almost um, switched your names up there and called you Carrie and, and Lim. I
1: don't know why I did that. that we, we can continue on with that if you want. <laughs> Just as we have to decide who's Lim and who's Carrie.
0: Well aside from that, they are our experts on management techniques, the research behind them and why effectively implementing them can really make a difference. So today's topic I'm really excited for. It's based on chapter 13 in the book, Managing to Make a Difference. It's called Abandon the Follow Shirley Method. It's a really great one, important to address. It goes back to kind of a consistent theme regarding how you onboard new associates. But I'm guessing for our listeners, it may need a little bit of explanation. So we'll get right to it. Larry, will you kick us off? What exactly do you mean by the Shirley Method? Method
1: well it's the follow Shirley method and and in so many businesses when uh, a new employee starts think about when a new employee shows up on the floor in whatever business they show up in their department and in most cases their associates don't even know that the new employee is coming it's a it's a total surprise to them They see this new person there and they say, I'm the new person. Nobody has alerted these employees that a new person is going to be joining today and they don't even know the new person's name. And then they they, that's how little they they know about that, about that new person. And and the manager is busy, busy, busy. We're all busy, busy these days. And anybody in management has more to do than they can get done in a the day. They're paying attention to so many different things. And so how do they continue the onboarding of this new individual? I'll tell you how they do it. They Shirley happens to be walking by, and they, they, put, they put their hand on the shoulder of the new employee, and they say, okay, you're going to start your training. Shirley, come here. This is limb. And in Lim, you're going to follow Shirley today. This is your training. Have a good day. And then the manager runs off to their morning meeting, um, where they're going to get their behind chewed by their boss because something didn't go right, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so a uh, Lim is is following Shirley around every day, and there is no plan for this person's training. Uh, and, and so, what does the person learn? First of all, uh, the person will only learn, at best, whatever Shirley happens to be doing that day, because I'm following Shirley around, and there's no plan for the training. Even if Shirley is always the person that gets followed, there's still no plan. You're just following her around and learning whatever it is she's doing, and hopefully, you know, you learn something about that, but... Um, Uh, that's not a very good method of training people. And if you're just joining us for the first time on this podcast, I spent most of my adult life in the luxury hotel business. And in the luxury hotel business, or in any hotel, actually, the number one duty owed to anyone who's in that hotel, customer or non-customer, is safety. Safety. You need to be safe in the environment. And, and, and that's not what you think about when you're thinking about a hotel because you take it for granted. That's such a fundamental obligation of the hoteliers that you just take it for granted that they've got that covered or you wouldn't walk into the building. And, and so you never think about that, but that. And so in any event, the follow Shirley method never gets to any safety issues. So this new employee, if there's a fire, they, don't, they have no idea what to do. Uh, and through their ignorance, they could kill you um, or any other sort of emergency. And obviously, they don't crop up very frequently, and the odds are very low that they're going to have to deal with it. But from time to time, so, so my, my point is things, important things will be omitted if somebody is just following Shirley around. even if Shirley actually has good intentions worst case scenario Shirley has a bad attitude and so the person is following Shirley around and the most important thing they they learn is this place really sucks and Shirley is complaining the whole darn day and they get to the end of their first day and they're wondering what did I get myself into that's the worst case scenario Uh, best case scenario as I say is is they randomly learn whatever Shirley is paying attention to uh, as, as she goes through her shift. Uh, I, and I don't know if any of the listeners, I'm betting listeners have experienced this, have been through this, uh, where there's just no organized way to make sure people are learning the things that they're supposed to be learning. Kim, do you, do you have any thoughts on this?
2: one of the thoughts that comes to mind is oftentimes if, if this is the approach that a manager is taking, the first day it might be follow Shirley, and the next day it might be, oh, Shirley's not here today, so follow Jose today. And, again, you still get this loss of a consistent message um, where you make sure that people get what they need to do their job with excellence. And And so from a training perspective, as a manager – One of the most important days of a person's job is day one, and what can you do to make that a great day?
1: And and by the way, uh, I'm glad you brought up the business about Shirley not being there, because inevitably, and you brought up the inconsistency, but inevitably, the way it goes is the new employee, Lim, in this case, is saying to Jose, well, that's not the way Shirley showed me how to do it. And Jose says, really? Surely doesn't know how to do it right. This is the right way to do it. So now the inconsistency has resulted in a contradiction and you're the no employee and whatever that skill or task is. You don't know how to do it because the second person just told you that the first person was wrong. Uh, and, and, that's, and that's so typical. Uh, and we just keep doing it. Oftentimes because people are not sure how do I escape this and do it better because I, I, I don't have time. Uh, you know, in the ideal situation, the manager would say to himself or herself, well, the only way I know that the training is done right is if I do it myself, but I just don't have time anymore I used to have time but I don't have time anymore um, so there we, we give people in the book a way to escape from this dilemma and uh, the way to escape from the dilemma is it this sounds over simplistic but here it comes make a list. Uh, (laughs) At the list, you don't need big honking training manuals because a a big training manual, I assure you, the moment you push uh, the final period on that training manual, it will be out of date. You'll get a new piece of equipment. The corporate office will give you a different procedure uh, other than the one you just wrote up in that training manual it took three pages for you to explain the procedure and all of a sudden it just changed, et cetera, et cetera. So I I really don't recommend that uh, people try to create these big detailed training manuals. I recommend a list and what's on the list. The list is the answer to the question. What does a new employee with this job title, what does that new employee need to know and be able to do by a certain date? And in many businesses for uh, rank and file hourly employees, many businesses have a probationary period. It may be 30 days, it may be 90 days uh, or whatever, and that's often a convenient milestone that any manager can, can use as a reference point and say, by the time the probationary period is over, what should this new employee know and be able to do? And every, your answer to that question, that's the list. And you can go beyond the probationary period. You can take any period of time you want, six months, whatever. But my point is there's a period of time and you say, by the, by the time this period of time is over, the new employee should know these things and be able to do these things. And and, uh, I can tell you, it's often very frustrating to make this list because there's a lot of hand-waving. And I'll give you an example of hand-waving. And again, this comes from my experience in the luxury hotel business, where you have uh, what we used to call doormen, and now we call them door persons, uh, but employees who uh, our greeters at the at the front door of the hotel and one of the things that they have to be able to do is give guests directions and when i ask a manager so they'll put that on the list give directions and i say where should they be able to give directions to i get the hand waving the manager says everywhere everywhere's really big you know nobody can give directions literally everywhere. So the frustration comes when I say to that manager, I know that there are locations that are asked for way more frequently than others when people are asking the doorman for, uh, for directions. Why don't you write those down and that will be your standard that the person working the door." needs to be able to give directions to, these fi- to this finite group of locations. And if they can do that, they can add other locations later. But if they can do that, you know that they'll be able to take care of most of the requests uh, that are going to come to them, and, and they can clean up the others as they go forward. So that's just an example of what I'm talking about. And there's two classifications of items. One is things they should know. And the only way you can tell whether somebody knows something is to ask them questions. And then there are tasks and and skills. And the only way you can know whether somebody has acquired a skill or can do a particular task is to watch them do it. And so you make the list. You identify the items that are knowledge items. You then come up with questions for each one of those items that if they can answer those questions they know it up to your standard and for a skill you they have to they have to demonstrate it so uh, i i can see that we're coming up on a break here and and we can continue this conversation about what you might do next to make sure that you have Uh, organized training that accomplishes what you want to accomplish
0: That's right, we're going to take a quick break but we will be right back with more insights from Larry and Kim, authors of Managing to Make a Difference
3: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here, Voice America Business Network Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values.
0: Welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. We left the last break um, talking about these lists um, and and making a list of things that people should know and be able to do by a specific time period. And I wanted to just give you the opportunity to pick back up on that conversation and continue with some thoughts.
1: Yes. Uh, so you've got the list. You've identified what's what's knowledge. You've identified what's skill. And there are there are things that you need both the knowledge and the skill, and that's fine. And then for anything that's knowledge, you create a set of questions, and that's how you're going to know whether the person has learned it. There's a difference. Too many times what an organization is is trying to figure out is, has training taken place? Well, that question is of little value. The, the question that you really need to answer is, has learning taken place? And, and you have to do that by some form of testing. And you don't have to call it a test. You can call it a demonstration, particularly if it's a skill or if it's a, a task of some sort that you can observe. Uh, you don't have to call it a test. But at some point in time, you've got to require people to demonstrate that they have actually learned what, whatever that, that item is. And that's one way managers can really stay in touch with is the person learning what they're supposed to learn because the manager could show up and give the test the manager could ask the questions it says here you've learned this give me directions to the state capitol and either the person can do it or they can't do it if they can do it great they've you know you and you run through that uh, you're you're supposed to be able to um, uh, make a bechamel sauce if you're in the kitchen. Well, go ahead and make one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, let me taste it. Let me see that it's done right. So this way the manager can be assured that learning has taken place. And if a person hasn't learned it, then, you know, more teaching is necessary on that item. There's there There doesn't need to be any sort of negative consequences for the individual if they haven't quite gotten what they're supposed to get. And by the way, that also is keeping tabs on whoever's doing the teaching because if the learner is learning what they're supposed to learn then i will declare for you that the teacher is doing a good job and if they haven't i will declare for you that maybe you need a different teacher um, so uh, and, and during the break um, our our a1 engineer a rod has pointed out to us that in many cases, in modern uh, companies are providing for employees videos that they can watch, uh, and and there's a demonstration going on in these videos of how to do X and Y. And you could also make videos with people essentially lecturing. Hopefully, it's it's an interesting type of presentation on the video, but nevertheless. Uh, there's all kinds of sophisticated ways to get into that today with animation and you can make them very engaging and educational at the same time. And if you're sitting on a computer watching a video, the computer can actually ask you questions and and assess whether or not uh, you've learned the knowledge that uh, uh, you need. So all of these things can be incorporated. But again, they can all be part of an organized, plan for getting people up to speed rather than just throwing them in and they learn randomly whatever somebody happens to be working on today. And the other, the other side effect of this is that the new employee, if you've got this organized plan, the new employee has a really good impression of the organization and a good impression of you is, wow, these people have their act together. Look at all, look at, look at this, I'm actually getting trained, which of course gives them the confidence to go out and do that job uh, with a high degree of excellence because they can be confident they've been trained properly to do the job. So there, there are all kinds of side effects attached to abandoning the follow Shirley method. It does take a little investment up front of making that list and coming up with the ways that you're going to verify that learning has occurred. So, A, abandon the follow Shirley method, and B, quit asking whether training has occurred and start asking whether learning has occurred.
0: Kim, this brings Sorry, I'd like to add. Sorry Kim. No. Uh, I'd
2: like to add that I think there's some degree of continuum for everybody. Maybe you have a training um, protocol in place. I think one of the questions you should ask yourself regularly is, have I intentionally put in all the elements that should be part of it? it are some things happen, happening incidentally and accidentally, or is everything that I need people to know intentionally included in my training plan? And, and am I, you make a great point, Larry, am I measuring whether people are actually learning? It, it's not enough to just check off that somebody watched the video. The question is, did the, is did they learn how to do what the video was designed to teach them to do? And then another area that I'd like us to spend some time talking about is people. So who decides what that looks like? And how do you decide who should do your training? How do you be intentional about that?
1: Yeah, well, let's get into it. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, one of the thoughts I have uh, as an athlete and a coach is that the best players aren't always the best coaches. Um, So uh, there's lots of great examples of that. But I think one of the things that you want to do is to find someone who's a really good coach. Maybe they're not your A player. Maybe they're just really highly competent at the role. Um, But they're also really naturally good at teaching and coaching.
1: And how would you know that?
2: I like to watch to see who does it on their own. Uh, Just they're the person who shows up and wants to help.
1: Yes. I I, I couldn't agree more. If you're a a manager of a department or a team or whatever the language is in your organization, and you're looking for somebody who will be your trainer, look for somebody, as, as Kim just said, look for somebody who just naturally likes to teach people. You can see them. I mean, if you're paying attention to what's going on in your department, you'll know who are the one or two people who they've just learned something. They just can't wait to teach it to somebody else. Hey, look, I just found out this program. You could do X and Y. It's a terrific shortcut. Let me show you this. And uh, there are people who just get intrinsic satisfaction, which is a fancy way of saying it feels good. Uh, from from teaching other people. And if they have that, those are the people you want teaching and you want some other things. You want them to be people who are good representatives of the organization, who are positive, who feel good about the organization. But the 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 talent of teaching is different from the talent of doing. And there's been a phrase that's around, that's been around for a long time, that I hate and the phrase is those who can't do teach and that is an insult to talented and gifted teachers because the the endeavor of teaching is completely different from the endeavor of doing and you know I I happen to be a fan of professional golf and I can assure you that even the very best golfers in the world have coaches and these coaches almost universally were not themselves among the best golfers in the world. They're really good at helping golfers become better golfers, but they themselves were never among the best golfers in the world. And, you know, I'm also thinking of Pat Riley, the, the legendary uh, NBA coach who uh, was a good basketball player, but when people are talking about the greatest of all time in terms of doing, they're not talking about Pat Riley. When they're talking about the greatest of all time in terms of coaching, they are talking about Pat Riley. So the two are different, and I encourage our listeners to uh, abandon uh, the phrase, those who can't do teach.
0: I'm curious to know, have either of you had an experience you're personally with the, the Follow Shirley Method where you've gone into an organization and they've said, here, go figure it out?
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Tell me about it. Well, um, this is even worse than the follow, follow Shirley Method. It was what you just said is, go figure it out. Too many of my stories, stories start out with the phrase years ago at this point in my life. <laughs> uh, but there was a point in time when I was practicing law in Washington, D.C., And I decided to switch careers. And it took me a long time to identify a new career path. I'm talking six months. But at at a certain point in time, I identified a new career path. I wanted to be in human resources. And I was hired by Hyatt Hotels. And I had never taken one course in human resources. Uh, In fact, when I started my career search, I didn't even know what it was. I had to look it up. Uh, I didn't know a thing about personnel. I didn't know a thing about human resources. And uh, a person named Phil Lombardi, who was VP of HR for Hyatt Hotels, decided that he saw something in me that, that I would be able to do this with excellence. And he hired me to be the HR director of a hotel. And my entire training was, your office is over here. That was my entire <laughs> training. and. I remember I went into this office, and again, people kind of knew I was coming, but they all they knew was I was a lawyer. And I went into my office, and I sat down, and I called my assistant in. Her name is, is Sue McAllister, and she had been passed over for this position, uh, and I was there instead, a guy with no experience and no knowledge. And I called her to my office, and I said to her, uh, what do I do? <laughs> And sometimes in life, God gives you a break. She decided to teach me the job Mm -hmm. with a good heart. And I will be forever grateful to her for doing that because it set me on a, a career path that was a really good one for me. And without her support, I don't know what I would have done.
0: Thanks for sharing that story. A reminder that this podcast is based on a recently released book, Managing to Make a Difference, and you can purchase your copies online at Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, or if you consider purchasing a bulk order for your team, which we highly encourage, you can go to 800CEoread.com and also purchase some copies. So we encourage you to do that. We're just going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more.
3: When it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network when managers make a significant impact their teams are engaged motivated and excited they love what they do when those people work for you you get results results matter and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values.
0: Welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. We've been having a great discussion this morning, and I want to continue it. Before we jump in, I do want to encourage you to visit our website, managedmakeadifference.com. There you're going to find additional materials and exercises that go along with the things that we're talking about in these podcasts um, as well as all the information you're going to need to pre-order books for your team. So we have been discussing some thoughts from Chapter 13 of the book, Managing to Make a Difference. And today, this chapter is entitled, Abandon the Follow Shirley Method. And Larry, you left us off with a great story. Um, Kim, I'm curious to know, do you have a story as well?
2: It's it's kind of funny that Larry and I both have stories about being sat down and, and told, here's your computer and here's your chair have fun. (laughs) Um, I've had a couple of jobs like that. And, um, you know, in the defense of my employer, I was the only one of my sort. So there really wasn't anyone else who did what I needed to do for the organization. I had the great privilege of being able to define my job in a lot of ways and figure out what that job was and what it was going to look like. But what would have benefited me dramatically was some kind of intentional onboarding experience. So if my manager would have sat back and said, what does Kim need to understand about who we are as an organization? What does she need to understand about our values? Who does she need to get to know Help her do that. That could have created, while it wouldn't have been specific training on what do you do and what do you not do, it would have created a great onboarding experience for me that would accelerate my ability to move into that role and be successful in it.
1: And I want to add that I was, uh, I was part of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company for a number of years. And having nothing to do with me that company had a It was the gold standard of onboarding experiences there were two days of teaching for new employees before they ever went into their departments Mm -hmm. and the main things that were covered were the things that Kim was just talking about not the uh, the life draining Recital from human resources about all of the policies and procedures and uh, things for which you can be written up and disciplined, up to and including termination and and you know gag me with a spoon on that sort of stuff. But the training that Ritz Carlton provided for new employees was exactly what you were talking about, Kim. Here are our values. Here are our commitments. Here are our Fundamental generic expectations of people such as going the extra mile and, you know, employees. And after the first day of that orientation, we would say to the employees, you have now heard what our values are. You've now heard what our commitments are. And we intend to enliven those. And you may have heard similar things from other organizations, but I assure you in this organization, you're going to hear about these values every single day. And we expect to hold each other accountable to live them out. And this is similar to joining a new church. This is what we believe. This is how we want to be in the world. And it may not resonate with you you may not want to show up to work and live out these particular values every day. And that, that is, that is perfectly okay. We're not saying these are better. We're just saying, this is who we are and we believe you'll be a good fit here. And we hope you want to join us. And at the end of the first day, we invited people to make the decision if they so felt like it, not to join us. And as, as many of the listeners know, and <clears throat> I don't know if this is still going on, but there was a time when Zappos would cut new employees a very large check if after being exposed to the Zappos culture, they decided they didn't want to continue on as an employee. Zappos made the decision that it was better for everyone if they cut somebody uh, quite a large check. And I, I don't remember the exact amount, but it was in the thousands. And if you didn't want to be here, bless you and move on to something that you do want to be a part of. And here's a severance check. Uh, so those those aspects of onboarding are supremely important. And they're much more important than the list I was talking about, Kim. So I, I I really appreciate your bringing that up.
2: Well, and I think another important point for managers who are listening is, you know, that whole onboarding idea might sound like a really big leadership thing. And it is. But we've talked on previous podcasts about the importance of managing up and cultivating a great relationship with your boss. And one of the ways you can do that is when you see that there's an opportunity like this, that could make things better for every other person who ever joins your organization. For you to be able to bring that idea to your leader and to be able to say, here's something we could do that would make things better. Here's something we could focus on that would help people be more successful. That's an amazing way for you to manage up.
1: Yeah, it really is. Uh, And, and you know, I've talked about one phrase, I, I really don't like here. Here's another phrase that always makes me chuckle, and that's uh, leading for change. I mean, what the heck is leadership about? You know, who who wants to lead to maintain the status quo? I mean, that's not what leaders do. Leaders want to make things better. And so, for the managers out there, we were talking about how you spot employees who might be the the, the go-to people to train new employees. Uh, and one of the ways you might spot somebody who has leadership talent, who might be your successor, because if you want to progress in your career, one of the best things you have to do is prepare somebody else to take over your department so that you can move on. And one of the ways to spot somebody who might be that person is to to identify people who are coming to you with ideas, who have, I who say, gee, here's something we could do that would make things better around here, and you, you're going to find that there are certain employees who do that with a much greater frequency than the rest of their associates. Uh, and that's not the that's by far not the only thing you need to look at when you're thinking about who could be the future leader. But it certainly uh, should make you curious to find out whether that individual has other sorts of talents, and characteristics that might fit with a leadership role in your department.
0: When I think about managers um, going back and actually implementing an onboarding process, um, where, where does your brain go in terms of where do they start? Obviously, with the list of must-haves, but in terms of crafting what that looks like within their department, where does that start?
1: Where does it start? Yeah. but.
0: Are they, uh, does it start with their culture? Do they, do they bring in aspects of their culture? Are they a fun culture? So do they want to do a lot of interactive things? Do they want people sitting in a boardroom watching projections, things like that? I, I go to the practical managers that are on the phone that are thinking, okay, we should do this. We should go back. And, and so what is step one and what are some things that they should consider when they build this program up?
1: Well, when you think about it, we don't expect the manager to be the expert in creating learning experiences for people. I mean, we we expect managers to be able to coach and teach and so forth, but they're not experts in adult learning, et cetera, et cetera. So let's think about the answer to your question in light of an organization that brought in an expert in curriculum development, uh, creating great learning experiences for people. One of the first things they do is they sit down with the department manager and say, Okay, make a list of everything you want somebody to know and be able to do. So it's going to start there because the manager is the subject matter expert on that. And the greatest developer of curriculum in the world has to know what what the goal of the curriculum is, what needs to be learned. And that's always going to come from the manager. Uh, And the manager can get the employees involved. There's no reason the person has to sit in a a cave by themselves and and do all the thinking. It might be more fun to get uh, the employees involved. And uh, if you let me get the employees involved, I can create that list probably in an hour Um, just by brainstorming. We'd have a list. And maybe it isn't 100%, but I bet you it'd be way better than what exists today, which might be nothing. So you go from there, and then you you reach out to, say, people in training or HR who may know, well, how do we make this fun? Are we going to play bingo? Are we going to do a scavenger hunt? Uh, and And, you know, we have to do this when people are coming into the operation. The operation is going, right? So they're being trained on the job in a sense. so uh, and and in some places, you can go into classrooms and do things. but uh, you start with that list, and then you reach out to people who have expertise in creating these fun and engaging learning experiences for people. Um, in fact, that's how we did it here at Talent Plus. We, we, As part of our onboarding, we expected people to learn the history of Talent Plus, and I was one of the teachers, and it was a an old-fashioned teacher-centric bunch of lecturing which just about killed the teachers. The students actually liked it better than the teachers did because they were hearing it all for the first time. But um, I, there just came a day and I said, guys, we, we can do better than this. And, and we could have put that all on video. Uh, and I got uh, Two or three of the very best teachers in this organization, we have a lot of really good teachers, and I got two or three of the very best teachers in the organization, and we just scrapped the program. We kept the learning goals. We scrapped the program and created a completely new program that was very interactive. It had people going around. Uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, finding, uh, you know, former locations of where we had our offices and historically, I mean, doing things that really required some activity and were also fun. Uh, so that's just an example of of us doing that here.
0: We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back to explore more on the antithesis of the Follow Shirley method.
3: From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values.
0: Welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference. Uh, We've been talking about abandoning the follow surely method. And um, before we jump right into that, I do want to let you know that we are always interested in hearing from our listeners and the questions that are um, burning questions for you all. And we want to answer those in upcoming episodes of this podcast. So if you do have a question, uh, simply go to that email host button just above the podcast description and send those questions to us. We'll work those topics into upcoming podcasts. So, um, Kim, do you want to maybe take a stab at just what all have we talked about in terms of the Follow Shirley method and some methodologies to combat that method? That's a lot of methods. I
2: I think think that we're, if if we were going to summarize, I think where we start is with the list. And Larry's made a really great point that, that's where it all begins. You have to understand what it is that people need to know. And so whether we're talking about that larger um, cultural values, who we are, what we believe in, kind of why we're here, or whether we're talking about the very specific, what does someone need to learn so that they can perform the job adequately, all of that should be on the list. So we have the element of the list We have the element of the trainer. Who is the best person to deliver this? Um, You know, we've talked about videos. Who's going to design those videos? But you can't do it all with videos, and at some point there's going to have to be somebody who's the hands-on coach. Who's the best person to do that in your organization? And we've talked about how that's the person who does it naturally, and how do we get them to do more of it? We've also talked about how it might not be your very best player. It might be someone who's a very good player but a great coach. And then we've talked about what are we trying to assess. If we have that list and we have somebody executing on it, the question isn't did we deliver the training. The question is did the person learn what they needed to learn, and we need to get at how we're going to assess that learning. So I think that brings us up to where we're
1: at. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great summary. I want to add, um, in terms of your, your method, uh, mm-hmm. in your approach to helping people learn things. Uh, mm-hmm. Earlier, Kim was talking about the importance of making sure a new employee understands the fundamental values of the organization, uh, which is, of course, part of the culture and the important elements of the culture that the manager wants to make sure are communicated to this person. I just wanna point out that possibly the best way to help people learn those things, values, beliefs, commitments, culture is storytelling. So collect stories. If you say, one of our values is always going the extra mile, collect stories about people who went the extra mile and how that made a difference in the organization and the lives of a customer and in the, in the lives of an employee. Co- collect stories that illustrate those values because if I just say, we expect you to go the extra mile, yeah, you may remember that, you may not remember that. Uh, but if I tell you a story about somebody who went the extra mile. And I've told this story in prior podcasts, the story about the the engineer in the hotel who uh, cleaned an old-fashioned videotape uh, that uh, somebody had spilled Coke on and made it unusable. And in, in that was way before the internet. We couldn't get another video. And there was a keynote speaker and this person painstakingly uh, cleaned this videotape using alcohol and cotton swabs and restored it so it could be used the next day. The, and of course, that story is, can be told in a, in a much more engaging way. But the point is, everybody remembers the story. It, it's it's way better than just stating a a principle like go the extra mile. It it it's vivid and it gets people emotionally. And if you want people to change their behavior you must engage them on an emotional level to demonstrate these, these behaviors. So when you are teaching values, et cetera, there is nothing more important than uh, collecting stories. Um, when it comes to uh, your manager of a department, you wanna make people learn. I, I wanna tell the following story because you have to think about your own talents What kind of a teacher are you? Are you a good teacher or not? You can be a terrific department head without being a good teacher uh, because, as we've talked about, you can identify other people to do the teaching. But I just want to tell this story. I was uh, running some management training uh, in the pre-opening of uh, a Ritz-Carlton hotel, and there there comes a day when the employees first report to work, and they're going to be trained here, and the hotel is going to open, and I... uh, A department manager came to me and and said, you know, Larry, I I want some pointers on how to be a better teacher because I've got, you know, I've got 75 people showing up to get trained in this department and I'm accountable to train them. And I'm very uncomfortable uh, speaking in front of groups. Uh, and, And he said, please give me some pointers so I can get better at it. And I said to him, well, let me ask you a question. Are you good at one-on-one coaching and training? He said, oh, yeah, that's really what I like to do. That's where I'm at my best. I said, you got a couple of assistants here in this department. Uh, Is either one of them pretty good at the large group stuff? He said, yeah, one of my assistants is great at it. I said, terrific. This is what you do. Everybody reports for the first day, you've got 75 people sent, uh, assembled, you get up there and you say, hi, I'm Mr. Mr. Smith here, and I'm the department head, and welcome, and all that stuff, and, and then you say, I'm going to be spending a lot of time with each of you one-on-one, because this training is very important, and I'm looking forward to working with you. The large group stuff is going to be done by my assistant, uh, Joanne. And so since this is large group stuff, I would like to introduce Joanne and let her take over from here. I said, that's the last speech you give to the, and I can tell you, he looked like the weight of the world had just been lifted from him because somehow or other he had gotten the impression that because he was the department head, he had to do all of that stuff. And once I was just able to show him a strategy that kept him in his sweet spot, which was one-on-one, but could still deliver superior quality, large group training, he was just thrilled to death. So if you're out there and you're a manager, just know, you don't have to deliver the, the training yourself if that's not what you like to do and what you're good at. Remember, you can always, if you create the tests, the way to verify learning has occurred, you can have your finger on the pulse of how this new employee's onboarding is going.
0: We've covered a great deal about the impact of the solid onboarding from people. And I know just from my onboarding here at Talent Plus, how valued I felt and significant because I was getting a conceptual learning of the company and an understanding. And it made me want to support my team even more from the first day. So I know that when we do this right, we do it um, with excellence then we get more engaged employees, which is exactly what you want to bring onto your team, right? You've selected this person for a reason. You've brought them into your organization. Take the time to make sure they feel significant so they can do significant things for you. So, Kim and Larry, thanks so much for your time today. Next week's podcast is helping people self-actualize. So, it's going to be a really nice follow-up. So, we hope that you'll tune in. And just a reminder, if you have any questions about this podcast or any of our previous ones or even questions pertaining to next week's, go ahead and put those in to that button. You simply click the email host button just above the podcast description and we'll work those topics into those um, podcasts for you. Thanks again for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference. You can go to ManageToMakeADifference.com to purchase your copies of the book um, and join us next week. Until then, Larry and Kim, thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone.
3: Thank you for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference with Talent Plus's Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. We hope these real-life management examples will help you manage teams across the globe. Just a reminder, this series airs on Voice America, the business channel, each Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. We hope you'll tune in next week for Managing to Make a Difference. Until then, put these practices into place and manage to make a difference.